Hello, everybody, and welcome back to My Favorite Friendship. I'm Mark Musinski. And I'm Brian Wool. And we're best friends. And this is a podcast about friends. Uh, it's a true friendship podcast where we find our favorite, most interesting, compelling, educational stories about real friendships from uh, the present, from the past, and we share them here. It's sort of like a true crime podcast, but instead of murder, it's about friendship. And uh, and one of the ways that we like to kick this off, I'm trying to do a slightly shorter intro today because I feel like I've really ling- like languished. Is that a word? It I don't know. It's languishing now, so yeah, let it go. That's I, the thing. I, I I've say just live it, bro. It. Okay. Live, live in it. Well, I was trying to get to the part where I say that we we like to start by talking about our week in friendship. Have you uh so last week we shared most of the week in friendship because we were at that bachelor party. What have you been up to since? Well, I, I feel like the most exciting thing is that you and I did an open mic together today. That's true. You that came was with me to so the open fun. mic that I've been doing to work on my new set. And I've been going to this place called the Hollywood Comedy mm-hmm. that's uh, by the uh, pavilions on Melrose to, to build my set for when I do shows where people will pay me and, and want to see me. Like the show you'll be doing... Oh, wait, I just realized the show you'll be doing at the Dynasty Typewriter on Wednesday the 21st, which will be right before this airs. Yeah, yeah. So everyone uh, check uh, brianwold.com and all of his other things just to make sure yeah. that you know when the next show is. Yeah, I, I do have, I did just book another one that's really fun in September called Clean Comedy, and it's in a laundromat. <laughs> and everybody has to do a completely clean set. You can't swear nothing because it's a laundromat. Yeah, there and, could be kids there. Yeah, and doing I, their laundry. Yeah, and I just I think this is such a fun show. There there used to be an improv show in a donut shop. It was Ooh. kettle glazed. Wait, kettle? Where did they perform in kettle glazed? Behind the, the counter. Oh, they would okay. close. The donut shop would be closed, and then people would perform behind the counter. Wow. And I never got to do that show, but I want to do this laundry show. I think it's fun. And, like, you know, I'm going to have to do things that uh, I think it's also a really great opportunity for me to stretch out, you know, my muscles at doing clean comedy. Because when you go to an open mic, oh, boy, they're not clean there. No. We heard so many dick jokes today and jokes about dudes and wanting to get laid. And it's like, dude, it's 3 p.m. Go (laughs) Like, this is, yeah. like, rub, rub one out, man. Get out of here. I know, Blue. We're mad at the guy honking, too. Oh, yeah. But, like, what's... I thought Blue just hated people who try to rely on penis-related humor. And I shouldn't there's... be shocked at this. I've been doing, you know, I've been doing this for a while. Uh, but it's still, it's like, man, you expect me to be impressed or, or be like, wow, this you finally said a new thing that I never thought about this. Yeah, this is your this is your new fresh idea that you've brought to this well worn territory. That's that's true. I never thought about it like if you're if you're entering your your penis related joke into the universe of pre existing ones. It's like I don't know. A lot of guys have thought a lot about that. Yeah, like so, like if if you're gonna. This is weird, but here is comedy advice to aspiring <laughs> comedians: if you're going to uh, make jokes try to pick premises that other people haven't used and if you are doing something that people have used really try to know what everyone else has done uh, because you want to have some sort of fresh take on it <laughs> yeah the, you know the freshest take on uh basically any part of the human body has probably already been done so when i was young and doing improv mafia i would laugh loudly I, I have a loud laugh. When I when I really yeah. enjoy something, I laugh. As you should. Yeah. Especially if you're at a show, let the people know you're enjoying it. Yeah. Then they'll give you more of what you want. And they would get mad at me in Improv Mafia when I wasn't in a game that I was laughing and enjoying the other comics too much. And they were like, okay. it's distracting. You know, you should be cool. But And I hate that. I am 36 years old and I'm done being fucking cool for whoever like i laugh at other comics and i'll laugh at their weird shit i'll laugh when their bit doesn't work and the thing is is you gotta fucking deal with me in the room and i i will be laughing when your shit falls flat on your face because you're doing your ninth dick joke in a row 
But I, like, also, I feel like that's helpful in a yeah. way. I'll take any laugh. If someone tells me what they're enjoying about what I'm doing, then at least I know. Yeah, I'm, I, I... It may I not be always, what I intended, but hey. I'll always bring my genuine self. And I loved, like, when we, you and I went to this mic today, that we walked in on a guy whose bit was talking about how he was born of incest and then he ended up m- murdering his father? He did say that. And that was that. the punchline? I don't... Yeah, I'm gonna... And he was like, I went to prison. He was like, I went to prison for it, and I'm out. (laughs) And I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say, I don't care if it's true. If it is hilarious, whatever. But it's just always like, man, this, that's your joke. Cool. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I don't know. Like, there's something so beautiful about open mics because people are opening their souls for you and doing their shit that they're like. Somewhere at home or on the way to that mic, they're like, I got an idea. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know what the people are going to love. Yeah, and I think that's so funny every time. I never get bored at it. And I understand how some people can be, like, exhausted by it. And I do get exhausted with the dick jokes. Yeah. But I just laugh. I'm going to laugh at you fucking failing at your dick joke. This is a take that I didn't know that I had. But I'm like, there has to be somewhere where people can find out what works, you know? Cause, because if you if you take away every space where you can just try whatever the hell comes into your head, whether that's how you got on death row or 18 dick jokes or whatever, um, how are people going to know to not do that? Or, or to do that if they happen to be the one person who's got an amazing angle on it or something. Yes. So it's like... Everything that people roll their eyes at open mics about is also kind of their power. Because when you're there's a you'll reach a level in your career, you generally, but also you, Brian, where it's like you're you're not necessarily doing open mics anymore. You're you're like jumping in on other people's shows and you know, like that sort of thing. And um that's different. And the goal is to learn to learn those sort of basic guide rails of what you want before you get to that place where your first thought things are being aired in front of like random paying audiences yeah there's that but also like man if i could somehow like if if i ever get big enough or whatever where i can where i'm doing this and like ah my you know the shows are like my open mics or whatever Mm I know that one of the things I like about this Hollywood comedy, it's so close to where I live. Yeah, that's like, the dream. I'm going to try and keep that place open so I can always go. Because they're open from noon to 10. And, like, you can go. It's amazing. And you don't, you know, no one's going to fucking bother you if you're famous. I've been there when famous people have been there. And it's a great place to go and work because you know that you're only in front of other comics. And if you're just trying out something weird, you can try your weird shit there and fail. And nobody's going to assassinate you, you know? Like, uh, And they do shows. It seems like they do shows on Friday, Saturday nights. They do. Like public um, shows. Yeah, they do. They do all sorts of stuff. It's, I don't know, I dig it. Uh, Zhao, Zhao Young Sum, uh, Summers uh, uh, created it, and they just opened up a second location this week, the Pasadena Comedy. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it, amazing. It, I mean, it's great. It's such a good idea. I really enjoyed the space. Was nice. Or sorry, I said Xiao Yang. It's Ji Young. I should. I got to say it right. Ji Young, uh, Summers. She uh, she's a TikTok star, uh, actually. Really, I didn't know that. She does some really great stuff. As she'll be like, I'm your. Uh, I'll do like a Chinese translation of your name. And then she'll like, you know, someone will give them their name and she'll say the, the sounds in Chinese and then translate it into like what your name is in Chinese, you know, your white person name or whatever Yeah, uh, you are. And it's always hilarious. She does so many fun stuff. That's great. And uh, her passion for creating a space for people to work things out. And, you know, to be for me to have you come. And, and do this with me. And I know you haven't done it in two years because you're a hilarious comedian. But it was so amazing for me to to be able to see you in what's like my gym. Yeah. And uh, it was fun to just get a workout in and have a workout buddy. Yeah. Because I, I no, go alone great. a lot. And then 
like I I meet other people there and I've made friends, mm-hmm. uh, which you got to see. I, I mean, yeah. one of my friends, Madison Clark, someone on a- stage. And this is actually uh, to even apart from the comedy talk, but like this was an interesting friendship moment because there was a woman who was performing and mid performance, she recognized you and then stopped in the middle of her joke to say, Oh my God, Brian, I love him. He's a real adult. I don't know about the real adult part. I don't know what you did to convey that. I don't, she did not seem that much younger than us, but she she's about ten years younger than okay. us. Okay, well maybe she had the the wisdom of age. I don't know. Whatever it was, she was she was just so surprised and delighted to see you. And I, it's funny because you've you've talked before about how you enjoy being out in the world and then and getting to encounter people that you know. And it's funny that even the power of that extends to even while they're performing, like she went there and paid money. To speak for five minutes, and she took 30 seconds of that time to stop and exclaim about how happy she was to see you. Oh, that's like that's like one of the nicest things anyone could do for me. I'm going to live off that high for like a year. <laughs> <laughs> At a 3 p.m. open mic. Yeah, but I was just like, oh man, you didn't have to say hi right then during your fucking set. I'm just there to, you know, it was, it was, that was very nice. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I, I love being a citizen in the neighborhood. And, <laughs> and, and you know, the, there's something about open mics where it's, you know, the people that you see there, you know that they're bearing their souls. They're putting themselves out there. Mm-hmm. And comedy is like that, too, you know, just in general. When, you, when you're putting yourself up there on stage, you're there for judgment. And so there is a bonding in, uh, you know, like we're all putting ourselves out there. And you can see, you know, when when things don't go well, you know, you can all bond that, you know, it's not going well for everyone. Or you can bond in that it's not going well for just Dave. (laughs) (laughs) There's always that. And that's very funny. It's always fun. And the bond that I have for this week, Mark, is two guys who who uh, actually bonded in high school and have remained friends for life. And that that bond this week, keep digging, Blue, is for, is Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell. Oh yeah, oh I gotta, I'm gonna have a, I don't know, I don't even, I'm before you even tell the story, I'm saying I'm gonna go back and do a little rewatch. Yeah, man. So Sam Raimi, Bruce Campbell, both both born in Royal Oaks, Michigan. Oh yeah, okay. Royal Oak, Michigan. Uh, uh, Campbell in 58, Ramey in 59, and they they met in high school. That's amazing. Yeah. What were they doing when they met? Oh, or wait, so fo- I forgot to say, for folks that don't know Bruce Campbell oh, yeah, and Sam yeah, yeah. Ramey, how, how can I leave this out? Bruce Campbell, uh, star, one of, he's known by as the Lawrence Olivier of Beeb films. <laughs> oh, what a backhanded title. I mean, Bruce Campbell's entire career is backhanded, that's, and that's that's fair. That's that's his his thing and he knows who he is and that's also part of why his fans love him. And um, you know, I I think his book is uh, you know, just like the chin if chins could kill. <laughs> Confessions of a B-movie actor. Okay. Is his he, know, he knows what's up. Yeah. Bruce Campbell, he's been in just so many amazing B-films. But then, because of his work in B-films, he gets, like, cameos in really fantastic, you know, mainstream films as well. Yeah, because, because some of his B-films are great. And yes. The, they get the B for, like, their production value or whatever. Or, or their on-the-nose, like, campiness. But mm-hmm. That sometimes that's also delightful. Yes. Bruce Campbell, I think, is he's one of my favorite actors. I love Bruce Campbell. I wish I was, you know, a fraction of as handsome as Bruce Campbell. <laughs> and I, I hope I can one day be more hilarious. Because well, I think he's just uh, just a tremendous actor. Talk about Sam Raimi. But then I want to come back to this B-movie thing in one second. So Sam Raimi, Sam Raimi, uh, tremendous film director started in B movies mm-hmm. but then launched his career from you know creating e- writing directing producing doing everything on Evil Dead Evil Dead 2 uh, then he 
produced Hudsucker Proxy, which is one of my favorite Wait, Coen really? Brothers films. Yes. Wow. Wait. So he was, was he? He was in the game like before the Coen Brothers. Then yes, so the he Coen was like, Brothers... "I'll give you a leg up." Yes, wow. The Coen Brothers paired up with Sam Raimi uh, on the film Crime Wave, which was kind of a bomb mm-hmm. uh, in 1985. Had they already done Big Lebowski? No, okay. 1985. Okay. Well, I don't know when Big Lebowski came out. Uh, is what I'm realizing as I say oh, this. 1999. That's several years later. Yeah. Fair. Was Big Lebowski <laughs> the first big Coen Brothers movie? No. Okay. No. I mean, Hudsucker Proxy was was decently well-received, I yeah, thought. Yeah, Hudsucker Proxy was decently well-received. And they also had Barton Fink. Uh, they, they, we'll do a Coen Brothers episode another time. That's true. But, the brothers and friends. But, but I, the Coen Brothers are going to come back in this. Because the Coen Brothers... So they worked on Crime Wave with Sam Raimi and... and uh, I'm getting ahead of myself, but Bruce yeah, yeah. Campbell was supposed to be the lead in that. And then the the studio was like, no, not Bruce Campbell. And then the film was a bomb, maybe because Bruce Campbell was in the star. I don't know. <laughs> but Sam Raimi, after all that, so then he made Darkman with Liam Neeson. And and Darkman had like a bunch of sequels. People love Darkman. I've never even heard of Darkman. Yeah, it, it missed you and me. It was 1990, but it was a very mm, was adult five. superhero film. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, it's super good. And then Sam Raimi actually directed one of my favorite westerns, which a lot of people hate. It's called The Quick and the Dead. Oh, yeah. With Sharon Stone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Leonardo DiCaprio and Russell Crowe. I think, I fucking love that There's just some A-list people. Yeah, it's super good. Then after Quick and the Dead, Sam Raimi followed that up with A Simple Plan, where Billy Bob Thornton got nominated for an Oscar with Bill Paxton. It was that murder. Yeah. 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 He he didn't win, but he won later for for other stuff. Then he he followed that with For the Love of the Game uh, and The Gift. Then Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man 3. And after Spider-Man 3, a lot of people were upset. <laughs> and uh, If you get three deep into a superhero thing, someone's going to have been upset at some point. And, and so then uh, he followed up Spider-Man 3 with Drag Me to Hell, which is a really funny, weird horror film, yeah. which is totally in the vein of Evil Dead, totally Sam Raimi. Then he did Oz the Great and Powerful, which I didn't love. Uh-huh. Oh, the James Franco one? Yeah. Yeah. It was it, fine. I, I, I did not Wizard realize stuff, that was a I Sam Raimi movie. It was a Sam Raimi movie. Well, because here's how you know it's a Sam Raimi movie. Bruce Campbell's got a cameo at least. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and in 2022, I'm so excited. Sam Raimi is the director of Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Holy shit, So if you're really? a Marvel... Yes. Oh, yeah. that's going to be so fun. Yes. So if you're a Marvel fan, Loki fan, all this stuff, this, this is all... I'm bringing it all together, friends. This is all coming. Sam Raimi. I was, I was talking to our friend Nick Cardiff, um, who is also a wonderful writer, actor, and magician, mm-hmm. among other things. And he was actually he was he spent probably fifteen minutes telling me how amazing Sam Raimi was as a director. Yes, he's so Sam Raimi loves movies. Wait, but you said he won an Oscar later. No, no, oh, Billy oh. Bob Thornton did. Oh, oh. Sam Raimi's never won an Oscar. <laughs> I was like, when you were listing the other things he worked on, I was like, what's the Oscar winner here? Oh, Billy Bob. Yeah. No, it was yeah, just it like. Makes sense now. It was just Sam Raimi was like the first dude to give Billy Bob like a, a uh, you know, like that meaty part and then Sling Blade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Which, you know, where he was amazing, amazing. And you're just like, oh my God, this dude, Billy Bob's amazing actor. You wouldn't think Billy Bob would be that great, but Billy Bob's fucking awesome. If if you're not a Billy Bob Thornton fan, uh, get on it. Get on it. He's an amazing actor. Anyway, back to Sam Raimi and Bruce, Bruce Campbell. They met in Groves High School in Beverly Hills, Michigan. <laughs> wait, wait. <laughs> what happened? So Royal Oak is near to Beverly Hills? Yeah, it's too small of a town to have a high school. Didn't you grow up in one of those towns? I grew up in Deer Park, Illinois, which did not have a school, so I went to Barrington High School. Well, no big deal, but I grew up in Palatine that had that got so big somewhere in the 90s that it had, or maybe late 80s, that it had two high schools. Yeah, you guys had two high schools. I was in a town that was so small that I took a bus to a town that had 
uh, school. Oh, that's okay. I've I read recently a thing that was talking about how um, suburbs are actually a losing proposition, and within fifty to seventy five years, the cost of maintaining suburban infrastructure will be way more than whatever the city got from the developer who built it, and many of them will collapse. So we're fine. Yeah, I I, I don't believe in the suburbs either. <laughs> so I think that's just fine. I'm a Hollywood boy. Uh, but yeah, Sam Raimi Beverly and Bruce Hills, Campbell, Michigan. Wow, Beverly Hills, Michigan, um, which calls back to uh, the other episode with uh, the uh, comic relief trio of Robin Williams, Whoopi Goldberg, and Billy Crystal, and that uh, Michigan, not the same as California. That's but fair. <laughs> great, great place. Great place still. Great wine. So many cranberries and blueberries. Yeah, beautiful. And lots of lots of lakes. I grapes. think Tim Allen made some really great tourism commercials as part of his sentence. <laughs> but yeah, so Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell met in Groves High School in Beverly Hills, Michigan. They they their friendship they've always described as dysfunctional because Sam loves to torture Bruce. And it's kind oh, of no. well. I mean, what a great relationship for director and star. That's really. fair. That's exactly what happens in movies. In movies, the protagonist gets tortured, and like, it's it's really made me think about everything that I've ever written. In that, like, have I tortured the protagonist enough? And the answer is no. Yeah, the, rarely. Like the things that Sam Raimi does to Bruce Campbell throughout all of fiction, spectacular. But in real life, quite intense as well. So, uh, Raimi was fond of sitting behind Bruce Campbell and would press a pencil into his back whenever Campbell had to answer a question from the teacher. Oh my god. (laughs) He would just always just needle him in the back and just like whenever he got, got called up. But Raimi, as we stated earlier, tremendous fan of movies, tremendous fan of TV... So one one day his dad gifted him a Super 8 video camera. Oh, big mistake. And uh, which <laughs> Parents is so never get your kids video cameras. They're just going to start using them. Well, what's crazy to me, Mark, is like almost every kid now that has a phone, they have a video camera. It's true. So you can start making movies with your phone like immediately. And and to me like that's I was so excited. I had one friend in high mm-hmm. school that had a movie camera, and it was it was just like a handy cam. It was my buddy Dan Rich, and we would go to Dan Rich's house and figure out what sketches and silly movies and things that we would come up with, and then we would shoot it. And Dan had wealthy enough parents at the time in the uh, late '90s, early 2000s, where he had like editing software and he oh, could put wow. things together. And he wasn't, like, an amazing editor. We were, like, 14, 15, 16. But, man, we put our shit together, and we, we tried. Yeah. We, no, insa- we, we I, didn't have a, a, a mentor or anything. It was just, like, kids playing with a camera. And I love, like, I love when I find out that my friends were, were those kids that yeah. played with a camera and, and made their little movies. And it's, that's I, the weirdly, best thing. I think... There's part of me that wonders, so now that it's so easy and everyone has one, I wonder if it's, I I guess I should talk to some people who are like 17 years old right now, but it it almost seems too easy because I think the excitement of having access to like a high eight, you know, Sony camcorder or whatever, um, made it more of a thing to like go to someone's house and make a movie with it. And I remember I, I similarly had friends. I had Mike Nowens and Steve Coulter and Nick McCoola, mm-hmm. um, all still amazing friends to this day, all of whom were had a, they had a whole movie making company in high school. And I think we produced one, like probably a double digit number of feature films or, or close to. And they were actually edited and they were they were good. Yeah, I watched I watched most if not all of them and and some of them were pretty good and they're all, <laughs> you know yeah, like, and they're like all, legit they were good all films. talented writers directors actors because you had to be because you were in high school and i felt so lucky to to have stumbled into them so i guess i'm curious how bruce and sam other than um being you know people in class who stabbed each other 
did was Bruce also a film fan? Is that how he bonded with Sam? Bruce was super into it, but also Sam had his brothers and and they had other friends. They had Josh Becker, Scott Spiegel, and Sam Raimi's brother Ivan. And and then later in college, they they had another friend too that they hooked up with that I'll probably find later in my notes. Robert Tappert, who mm. who uh, is Sam Raimi's brother's roommate. Nice. <laughs> what a good luck of the draw. Yeah, right? man. It was, I mean, that's what you do. You work with who you have around you, and and sometimes iron sharpens iron, and sometimes you're lucky. You know, you know. It, all, all you can do is, is just do your best and hope hope that you'll you'll eventually find your people. I've never heard the expression iron sharpens iron before, but it sounds so intense. You haven't heard iron sharpens iron? Is that supposed to mean it's like kind of cliche, people yeah. who are who are not necessarily good like make each other better? Or is that supposed to mean like people who are already have the metal like help sharpen each other? Yeah, like the people that have the metal will sharpen each other. Okay. I mean, yeah, it's like, and so, sometimes you do get lucky. And I feel like, you know, you guys in CNGM and in Palatine, you guys had a lot of iron sharpened iron. You all said Jeff Green is a great guiding light, yeah, too. A lot. I mean, yeah, ways. it was it was wonderful. And I, I think without that, I don't think I'd be here today. Neither of us would be. I, I'm, I, my involvement with those guys and meeting them after meeting you in college mm-hmm. was tremendous. And I don't. Yeah, it simultaneously showed me that making movies or TV shows or whatever was like a possible thing to do and also showed me how much fucking work it is. Yeah. But I think I'm glad I learned that really early on because it gave me a respect for it and made it a slightly less insane decision to be like, this is what I'm committing my life to. Yeah. And I I loved that work. I love I loved that. And uh, there, yeah. there are people that love that, and we keep doing it. It's weird. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, so the so then after high school, these guys have to split up. They get into different colleges. So Sam goes to Michigan State, mm-hmm. whereas Bruce goes to Western Michigan. And while they're doing that, they still they made these Super Eight films when they were in co- in high school. And uh, their first Super 8 film was called It's Murder. <laughs> and it's a feature-length movie shot on Super 8 by Sam Raimi. Well, uh, and they, well, I guess they made it while they were in college. And uh, their, their friend Scott Spiegel helped produce it. And Bruce Campbell was, was the co-star with Spiegel and Raimi. And so they were all on camera together. And that, that you know, kind of gave them the bug. And then Sam Raimi had this idea because he loved H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah. And he was like, I have this idea about something with the Book of the Dead. And we'll we'll have these kids find the Book of the Dead and it'll be like a, a horror film. And they called it Within the Woods. And he made like a 30-minute Super 8 version of what would eventually become Evil Dead uh, with Bruce Campbell in the lead. And then they just got friends and family to kind of help out on the crew to kind of showcase what they figured out with stop motion and special effects to show that they could actually pull this off. Yeah. And they, uh, they, they made this movie within the woods. It was 32 minutes. It's, it was made in 1978, and it cost about six, somewhere between 1600 to $2,000 to okay. make in 1978. Yeah. So uh, that's still a lot of money. Yeah, that's decent. I mean, yeah. that was about the budget of some of our CNGM movies, and that was in the late 90s, early 2000s, yeah. actually. <laughs> early 2000s. Blue hates inflation. <laughs> And I'm not I'm not entirely sure where they got the money from, but I'm I feel like somehow Sam Raimi had access to money because it didn't seem like Bruce Campbell did. Sure. Um, but to to get the funds for Evil Dead, Sam Raimi approached this guy Phil Gillis, who was a lawyer for one of his friends, 
and showed him the short of within to within the woods. And Gillis, for some reason, went on record to say that he was not impressed. Short <laughs> okay, film. great. Nice. <laughs> Thanks, Phil. He did say that he would offer Raimi legal advice on to how to produce the film. And he said uh, that Raimi should ask a variety of people of, uh, for donations and just beg them. And so Raimi did. Uh, Campbell, Bruce Campbell, even asked several of his family members to donate. And Raimi asked every individual that he thought might be interested. And eventually he raised enough money to produce a full-length feature film, uh, but not the full amount that he wanted. He said that the film cost $375,000 to make. Wow. The original Evil Dead. And... That's so much money to beg from people. Yeah, oh my right? god! I know. Can you? And also in 1981, yeah. like what? Like that's so much begging. He had to go to like every dentist in Michigan. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, and and be like, yeah, we're gonna do it in Royal Oaks. <laughs> you know? Come on <laughs> over to Beverly Hills, Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But. Um, he, he got the money, and Raimi turned 20 just before shooting began. So this was like, wow, you know, this is a teenager begging for money to get $375,000. Sometimes I think that helps. Like, when we were teenagers trying to raise money to make movies, it was easier because everyone was like, oh, that's so cute. You're trying to make movies. I don't know. We never got 375000 though, so clearly he was doing something on a different level. Yeah, but still, like, you know, we, there's something about a motivated kid that everybody loves, <laughs> you know? Like, they yeah. want to they help Every other kid in kid. Royal Oaks is just, like, getting high and, like, trying to figure out who they should date. <laughs> so, to make Evil Dead, they didn't have any location scouts. So, Bruce and Sam had to find the filming locations on their own. So they attempted to shoot in Royal Oak, but nobody was really receptive to them filming. So they ended up choosing Morristown, Tennessee, because Tennessee was the only state that expressed enthusiasm for the project. <laughs> I, I'm curious. how. I guess you could contact the state film board or whatever. Yes, that's the only way to do it, because you have to get permits. Yeah. and uh, Which we learned when we were making our movies with CNGM. Yeah. You know, you that's the only way to do it. And so the Tennessee was the only state that actually expressed enthusiasm in their film office. So they went to Tennessee in Morristown and they found a remote cabin located several miles away from any other buildings. And 13 crew members uh, had to stay at the cabin during pre-production. So several people would be sleeping in the same room. The, the living conditions were so difficult and... Everyone on the crew, which were basically members of the Campbell and Raimi family, yeah, just hated each other. Well, I, I feel like when you're that age, you don't. You're like, yeah, well, I'll just pile in. It won't be so bad. I remember when we went to the Austin TV Festival one year. We put seven, six or seven people in one hotel room to yes. save money. Yes, and we ended up sleeping like like alternating feet and heads like the grandparents in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Because we had cockroaches the size of mice. They Saving were humongous. money. <laughs> they were humongous. Yeah, but like when you're, you know, I could see Sam Raimi at 20 being like, oh, come on, we're all cousins for the most part here. So Campbell in his book described the filming process as 12 weeks of mirthless exercise and agony. <laughs> cool but how did he really feel he said that he did have fun while he was on set but it was it was rough and sam really believed in torturing his actors he does think that that's uh that elicits an honest like a response. method director a little bit okay and so he will get people a little bit uncomfortable and he mostly because he loved bullying bruce and so he would he would like Get Bruce coated in like gallons and gallons of Cairo syrup blood, oh, you know, God. so that he's just sticky. And then, you know, Bruce would be running through the forest. And, you know, if he'd scrape his leg on, on a tree or something, Sam would find a twig and poke Bruce in the cut while he's oh, like God. doing a shot. Wow. Just to like really make him extra uncomfortable. And 
Man, you know, I, d- I did a movie in college once where I was a character and I, my character was like, m- not murdered, but it like very badly injured in a bathtub. Well, maybe I was murdered. No, I think I lived through the movie. Regardless, I was covered in that caro syrup blood and I was in a bathtub, but because you don't want to steam up the lens of the camera, the bathwater was just cold. So I'm just lying covered in like the sticky, gross blood in a freezing bathtub for hours. Yeah, it's not a pleasant, it's not, acting is not really that great. Yeah, and the more like <laughs> special effects-y type makeup-y stuff, the less, like the stuff that you get into acting for, like when you go to theater school and it's like, how do I embody the emotions of this character? The more special effects that are happening, the less of that you get to do. <laughs> Yeah. So, like, every time you watch a Marvel movie, know that that's, like, only about 10% of those people's dreams. And they're fucking toughing it out. <laughs> I have a lot of respect for that kind of thing. Oh, so much. People people that, that poo-poo those superhero films don't know what they're talking about. Don't, don't take that negativity. Um, anyway, so we, back, back to Bruce and Sam. So, when they finished filming, everybody on the crew left but campbell campbell stayed with ramey to look over the footage and ramey discovered that they needed some pickups so then they did four more days of reshoots and just the two of them yeah and the final moment involved campbell having to be uh, monster guts splattered on him in the basement just getting all the stuff so it was just pouring more stuff on bruce <laughs> sure and so several sounds were not recorded par- properly during the shooting, so they had to do some effects in in the editing room. Uh, this is a fun fact: dead chickens were stabbed to replicate the sounds of mutil- mutilated flesh. Yuck! And Bruce Campbell had to scream into a microphone for several hours. So, like, if your dream is horror movies, that's that's the dream, kids. That's what it is. <laughs> Just stabbing chickens and screaming. Yeah. But, you know, to me, that sounds like fun. Yeah, I'd do it. Yeah, you know, I don't know. What does that say about us? Like, after I was in that bathtub for hours, I thought it was funny. Yeah. So, Bruce Campbell has a co-executive producer credit on Evil Dead. And uh, and their friend from, from Michigan, Rob Tappert, was producer. Uh, Stephen King... Uh, endorsed the film to kind of give it a little bit of extra jazz as it uh, got its distribution. How did they know Stephen King? He just is was a horror enthusiast, and okay, he found great. it and, and just awesome. Way to go, a little Stephen bit of King. Behind it. Yeah, and four years after its original release, it became the number one movie in the UK. <laughs> what was it originally released? It was uh, Evil Dead was originally released in. 19 where is the 1981 mm-hmm. so 1985 is when it became number one in the uk wow and you know, like it's a completely different model for film distribution and how people saw movies yeah like it's if so you different. if you wanted to know that vhs wasn't a thing yet <laughs> that's but- that's how you know but that's also how, like, every dentist in Royal Oak, Michigan put an extension on their house. Yeah. But yeah, in 1985, Evil Dead became number one movie in the UK. And wow. then uh, it, it received major distribution in the US, which spawned the two sequels, Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness. And Evil Dead 2 is basically a lot of Evil Dead, but remade with more money yep uh, which is awesome i love evil dead too it's so good an army of darkness is kind of like an adventure historic epic historical fiction epic fantasy that's it's hard still, to describe but it's yeah, pretty amazing it's awesome there's a chainsaw arm or something i think so before they made evil dead 2 sam raimi made the movie crime wave with the now famous coen brothers wow Joel Cohen, there's Joel and Eaton Cohen, and Joel uh, was one of the editors on Evil Dead. Really? Yeah. Where did they find him? I don't know. That was the thing that I couldn't find. It was like, how did you hire him out of all these people? And maybe maybe they're Michigan guys. Uh, Oh, wait, Fargo was the the first big Cohen Brothers movie. 
Well, the right? Oscars and stuff. I'd say oh, Barton Fink was really okay. their big first one. And sure. then they had Hudsucker Proxy and then like Fargo and then, you know, all, all these other great films. Okay. But, but yeah, so Joel was an editor on Evil Dead. And so then him and his brother and Sam worked on the screenplay for Crime Wave. But production was difficult for, you know, members of the crew and the production studio. Embassy would not allow Raimi to edit the film. So then there were all these arguments about, uh, you know, who who was in charge of what. And there was an interference from the studio. It's hard. It's hard making movies. Yeah. It's a, when you find out how movies are actually made, it's a wonder that anything ever gets done. Well, and, and <laughs> as you rise up the ladder, you know, like in Sam's case he was like begging all this money from people, but he ended up with total creative control. Then you get to the next stage in your career where some studio producers, whatever investors are giving you money. And then all of a sudden they get a lot of say, and you're not used to that because you're used to like scrounging up everything. And now you're like, Oh yay, I get to enjoy having millions of dollars, but also I don't always get to say where they go. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit of a blow to the ego, but hopefully the money helps that, you know? Um, Let's ask Sam. if he, uh, Sam, if you're listening, um, please let us know if you're okay getting paid more. So for me, so I, I actually discovered Bruce Campbell as a kid through his cowboy show, Briscoe County Jr., on Fox. Yeah. Did you ever watch Briscoe County like Jr.? Like maybe once. I barely remember it. I just remember the loving the name and I, and I liked cowboy stuff. It was it was on the same night as like The Simpsons and stuff, I think, and then they eventually moved it to another night. It only lasted one season. But I I don't know, there's something about that show that connected with me on a deep level because there was there was a certain silliness to it. Yeah. And there's always a certain silliness to Bruce Campbell's acting. I don't know. It's just something that really always connected with me. He's really good at, at both staying like grounded in the moment of the thing and also like winking at you that it that you know he knows he's in the genre that you're watching. Yeah. Maybe. Is that a way to put it? Like so here here's an example. So for when he auditioned for this role of Briscoe County Jr. He, he did it for a series of executives that were looking for an actor with the physicality to ride horses and perform stunts. So Bruce would grab himself by the collar and perform a forward flip that uh, he and Raimi taught themselves back when they were in high school. Nice. And it was just like a bit they would do to make each other laugh. It was like, pull themselves by the collar and then do a front flip and... This impressed the casting director, who insisted that he do the flip every time he was called back. <laughs> wow. And so, Bruce somehow landed this role, maybe because of, maybe not, because of his grabbing the collar uh, forward flip acting <laughs> that he's so good at. Wow. So... To, to achieve some of the more surreal effects in the Evil Dead series, Raimi would have... Campbell do uh, reverse motion acting. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever seen the like you film it and, in then, reverse. and then play it backwards? So yeah, they play to... it backwards, and then when you play the film forwards, it you're... like that's how you make it look like someone's cu- like stepping out of the water or something because you actually like they went into the water, but as if they were walking out of it. Yes. Yeah, and then you just play it in reverse. Yeah. Yeah. And Bruce Campbell is one of the best people in the world at this reverse motion acting. And it may be because Sam Raimi bullied him so hard throughout their their, uh, friendship. Because when they were doing Army of Darkness, there's a sequence where a miniature version of Ash, uh, uh, Bruce's character, is impaled by a fork. So... This required Campbell to begin the scene by dying, returning to life, and then getting a fork pulled out of him, then running. Yes. And this is, like, so difficult to do. And so it it has become a Bruce Campbell trademark. 
but whenever he would like mess it up, Sam Raimi would exclaim, "This is some of the worst reverse motion acting I've ever seen." <laughs> Just like Bruce Campbell can't cut a break, catch a break with Sam Raimi. Just ever. It's I don't know. It's it's an interesting friendship. Yeah. And you know, Bruce is just such a handsome guy but also such a misfit throughout his entire time in high school. He would he was, you know, in high school in the 70s when everyone's looking like dazed and confused, but he would be wearing like Montgomery Ward slacks and a borrowed blazer. Wow. <laughs> just like even just though he's like a handsome little guy, off. giant chin, just never quite fit in anywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And and so uh, an example. So Bruce Campbell, B movie superstar, uh, Lawrence Olivier of B films. Uh, in in one of his books, I forget which one now because I I have these notes piecemealed from so many different things. Uh, to illustrate the plight of the working stiff actor, Bruce Campbell provided a helpful breakdown of his salary for the. Army of Darkness, which was made in 1992. Mm -hmm. He made $500,000. Sounds like a lot. Yeah. But then after agents, managers, income taxes, and his ex-wife, he figures that he made about uh, $93,000. But the film took two years to complete. So his net profit for portraying Ash in Army of Darkness was less than $50,000 a year. So, no wonder he's in a hurry to keep working. Yeah. (laughs) Now, uh, Sam Raimi, after his career took off after Army of Darkness, and he got Hudsucker Proxy, Quick of the Dead, uh, uh, Simple Plan, Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man 3, you know, all these these other great films. Uh, Sam didn't forget about Bruce. Sam would do everything he could to put Bruce in every movie that he was in. In Darkman, spoiler alert, at the end, Liam Neeson gets his face changed to look like Bruce Campbell. (laughs) And in the end of the film, it's Bruce Campbell. Get your friend a payday, please. Because he's, like, just not famous enough in in, uh, 1990 where we're like... Yeah, they wouldn't let him be the Liam Neeson part, but maybe... He could get his face changed, and then Bruce Campbell could do all the sequels. Yeah, and that's what they did. Nice. So, so that's real fun. Then, uh, in Quick and the Dead, Bruce Campbell also had a Hudsucker Proxy. Bruce Campbell is hilarious in Quick and the Dead. Bruce Campbell has a cameo, but they ended up cutting it. Uh, Bruce Campbell is in every single Spider-Man film that, that Sam Raimi made, so one, two, and three, and uh, he's in. Oz the Great and Powerful, and hopefully we get to see him in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Now, uh, over 30 years after the first film, Ash vs. Evil Dead premiered on Stars. Yeah. And Raimi directed the pilot, produced the series. It was originally ordered for five seasons, but it was canceled after three. (laughs) Three's honestly a pretty good number for a streaming show, though. It's a great number. And so, like, you know, you you look at these guys, and there's always that, that thing, like, they never quite were uh, the A-list, but they never were the A-list. And who who needs that shit when you got your best friend with you? And yeah. even if he's a stinker to you and douses you in, in sticky stuff. And stabs you. <laughs> and stabs you. <laughs> and, you know... I don't know. They just always have have each other, and uh, and I I just love this friendship, and I'm glad that they're still doing stuff together. They're still friends, and you know we'll see how things come out of the pandemic and what they do next. But uh, I mean, I I feel like we have to look for Bruce Campbell in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Oh yeah, he's got to be there. Yeah. Uh, any any questions, thoughts? What did you want to say about oh, B movies? Well, Mark? I was just thinking about this. So like. I watched The Shining recently with you during that bachelor party because we went to a place that was sort of either used or inspired the exteriors for The Shining, Mm -hmm. um, the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado. Hey-oh. 
and I had forgotten that Jack Nicholson did a, a several B movies before he kind of like you know broke into the mainstream, and also. The Shining would definitely be a B movie if it was directed by anyone else. Mm-hmm. Like rewatching it, I was like, "Is this good? I don't even know." I, I just think people have so much faith in Stanley Kubrick that they're like, "Well, he he must have meant something by this." And like every shot in the movie is like incredibly composed, but the way that Jack Nicholson is acting is not that different from the way that like Bruce Campbell acts in those movies, where there's sort of a nod to what the genre is. Mm-hmm. And and sort of a duality to like I'm playing this honestly, but also I, I understand on like a meta level that this is like a horror-y thing, and I'm like having a little fun with that. And, and I think one, I think that's super impressive on both Nicholson and Campbell and everyone else that can do that. But also, a lot of times the difference between an A movie and a B movie is just like people's assumptions of it. Yeah. And and also. A lot of the, basically every really incredible director started directing something that they didn't have a lot of money for. And that forced them to figure out how to solve problems in a way that, that increased their creativity later when they did have the money. Yeah, it, I, I think it's, I, I just love, there's something about slogging it through with people when you're not number one Mm -hmm. and and that creates the bonds that last when uh when things actually go well Mm -hmm. and completely agree and and you know uh if, if you didn't stick with your crew from high school uh you're just gonna have to go through the shit with other people in some sort of other thing whether it be moving to a new town or being on the same level at a job or a class or, or something there that it's a bonding through uh struggle is an important thing to the human existence and so many times i've gotten this advice a lot and i've given this advice a lot but like if you if you are pursuing a career in anything hard but entertainment's the one that i happen to be familiar with everyone's always like yeah you're gonna want to like be friends with important powerful people but they've already got friends you know who doesn't have friends people that are in the same boat as you and so whether you meet them in high school or in a class or whatever like those are the people that are really going to make a difference in your career because those are the people that were struggling when you were struggling and that actually saw through the struggle to the talent that you have or the potential that you have, at least. And they, like, cherished that and embraced it. And they've been there for it for, like, a decade. Yeah. It matters. So stick on, stick with your friends or, or get through some sort of struggle. And then you make new friends and make your struggle friends. That's always the best thing. Uh, thank you guys for, for hanging in through this episode. Hopefully, we'll, we'll get to hear from you on social media. Please reach out to us at MyFavFriendship on Twitter, at MyFavoriteFriendship on Instagram and Facebook, and then at Brian Wool and Mark Musinski on all platforms, spelled like they sound. Uh, anything else you'd like to say, Mark? Just have a great week. And everyone go watch like Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness. Yeah, shout out to our friends in Michigan. Love you guys. All right. Bye. And bye-bye.